0: We're going to develop a powerful video as part of the actual workshops so when we go and deliver a workshop this video which will be very professionally made and involve young people uh, will be part of the, of the education tool so that's going to be really exciting
1: the imani speak show okay beautiful souls as promised i have my guest for the hour mr tony kelly let's see if he is there Hi Marnie, evening. Greetings, Mr Tony Kelly, how are you?
0: Yeah, it's good to hear from you again, yeah good to catch up again, I'm, I'm very well thank you, very well.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, really lovely to have you back on the show, um, really blessed and um, humbled and happy to have you back. Um, can you just share a little bit about your background before we go into more questions and the conversation?
0: Yeah, so um. My uh, dream as a, as a youngster was uh, to be a professional footballer. So I started out on that journey for um, leaving school, 16 years old. Uh, got, I managed to get an apprenticeship, which is similar to a scholarship, well, exactly the same as a scholarship today, which means basically from 16 to 18, you would for a professional football club and spend two years um, until to your 18th birthday before you're offered a professional contract. So I went to Bristol City from school, 16 years old, Um, And unfortunately, um, although I did start off well, became the youngest player ever to play for Bristol City's first team, except for 16-244 days. Um, Unfortunately, the the second year of my contract I was a little bit wild to be honest, but my attitude wasn't right. And um, I think I I obviously had the talent but didn't have the rest of it to go with it, the hard work and dedication and attitude. So I was released before my 18th birthday and then I went into what they call non-league football, which is semi-professional football. Uh, and I spent three years in semi-professional football before I fortunately managed to get an opportunity to sign professional um, for Stoke City in the second division, second tier of professional football. Uh, and I have an eight year career playing for six clubs, Stoke City, Cardiff, Hull, Bury, Leyton Orient and Colchester United. Uh, so yeah, so I had a decent career. Um, yeah, was earning good money, etc., living the high life, etc. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, as, as we'll go on to shortly, um, I fell into gambling addiction. Um, so yeah, the gambling, the gambling addiction had a massive impact, not only on my personal life, but on my football career. Um, I finished football at 30, so I probably lost five or six years to the game um, due to my addiction and, and how that consumed me. And then moved on, um, yeah, continued to gamble right up to, you know, what right up to 2013. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the turning point was when I um, put my story to print in 2013 and uh, wrote my book, Red Card, which was published in 2014. And that was basically to, um, one, raise awareness uh, of the problem of gambling addiction and, two, to let my uh, friends and family, extended family, know what I've been through. Because um, I think that was really important. To We've got a big family, there's lots of um, cousins, etc. that wasn't aware of what I've been through and uh, more importantly, to, to raise awareness nationwide about the problem of gambling addiction. So uh, the book was uh, well received and a lot of media stuff. Um, and then it was a question of, um, I think, that the, the feedback I got from the book was was the inspiration to um, set up something um, yeah, that could continue raising awareness. And that was when I set up my organization 2015 Red Card Gambling Support Project, CRC. So I became CEO and founder of that organisation, and we started out. It took time, obviously, to to build an organisation, it takes time. Um, But we we started, slowly got a good team together, um, addiction facilitators, and then basically, probably, I would say, really active from 2017. And the model is all about education, awareness and prevention of problem gambling, for all, particularly for young people and um, we've been doing that you know in terms of talks and educational workshops and resources etc we've been doing that for the last four years now and we're going really well we've grown uh, become fairly established now within the industry uh, a lot of support now and a lot of funding so yeah we're at a really good place at the moment so that's that's where we are
1: awesome um mr tony Kelly. what i um, want to ask you because i mean obviously um the first part of your career or i would say the first segment because it's like you're you're a footballer turned author mm. turned ceo yeah would you say that uh first of all you know to get into doing football you know having that skill and going in would you say all the discipline and all the different things that you had that kind of got you into being a great footballer were those skills transferable when it became when came time for you to set up your business where now you're going to help people? Were those? Did, were you able to transfer those skills? Use those skills that helped mm-hmm. you then to help you build your business that you're doing now?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's there's parts and elements of of that journey that transfer to what I'm doing today. Um, an example probably would be confidence. Um, you know, <laughs> to be a professional footballer. Apart from the, the obviously um, the actual talent and the physical talent of, of being able to be a footballer, um, but you know, the dressing room, uh, you know, is, is quite a scary place in professional football. You know, you've got people from all kinds of um, backgrounds, all kinds of communities, um, particularly now you've got you know, people from um, different you know, demographics, etc. So, you know, you have to be strong mentally, uh, there's a lot of banter that goes on. Uh, so yeah you have to, you have, to have a bit of confidence about it generally speaking in, in, in that kind of environment and plus you're going out you might be doing um you know formal engagements public engagements with the club going to school etc so all those kind of things you've, you've got to you know be able to adapt to that to that side of the professional game um apart, as, as well as the um actually playing football on the field so i think a lot of people don't realize that there are you know thousands of footballers that do a lot of stuff off the pitch as opposed to on the pitch and that's that's just part of being professional football particularly particularly with with the bigger clubs uh, but, but it, that goes right through um every every football club all night to do football league clubs in all leagues because um they, they generally a lot of them have uh, um trust within the club where they do community engagement uh so yeah that's one side of it um i'd say that you could look at the discipline side uh so me now i have to be really disciplined in terms of running a team you know whether that's holding meetings whether people turn up on time going to different functions all those kind of things and that i think you know with football you know there there was a you know a robust sort of structure to it in terms of you know turning up for training on time turning up for the coach on time to leave going away getting up in the morning on a hotel stay breakfast on time with the team all those things so uh, that there is a I suppose a large part uh, element of discipline involved with that so yeah so I would probably say there they're the two main things that um, that coincide with uh, what I'm doing today in terms of uh, transferring skills.
1: And you know what I want to ask you because I, I want to also mention that you know in your former career your brother was with was by your side you were doing it together initially um, but now this is something, you know, the red card consultancy is something that you do and you have a team of people that mm-hmm. work with you, for you. Yeah. Um, and what, what's that like? What, what's it like to find, you know, you're helping hundreds of people, thousands of people, and I know you're mm-hmm. doing lots of new things and lots of people are getting involved who are showing interest to take yeah. what you're doing further. Can you talk to us about that?
0: Yeah, I think one of my, um, when I started out of, of setting up Redcar School project, um, I think what pleased me most, I suppose, it was the amount of people that wanted to be involved. Because obviously, that was the hardest part of setting up the organisation, in terms of getting governance on board, in terms of getting a group of um, you know, facilitators, addiction facilitators that that are willing and able to facilitate workshops, etc. Um, then you then you've got the website to think about you know social media to think about so there's lots of different lots of different roles involved where you know you've got to get the right people on board and you've got to get people that two things really one that you can trust which is massive uh, and two that are actually passionate about what, what you are actually trying to do and i think putting those two things together everybody that's that's come on board with red Card have definitely been passionate about you know reducing gambling harm which is what our model is about um and, and, and we've built a trust. And I think the trust side of it goes both ways. Because obviously, uh, as an example, people that have come onto board with Red Card, um, you know, are obviously aware of my story. Um, and so when when it comes to the funding side of things, um, if, if I put myself in their shoes and I'm going to join an organisation, I'm going to pay for delivering workshops, then um, how do I know that this person's not going to blow all the money when the funding goes into the bank business bank account and i, I think that, that i think that was the big, that was the biggest trust factor for me and, and i think that's probably the most pleasing thing for me in terms of my recovery the fact that i think you know of memory is probably what well, we just received some more funding so yeah it's gone well over the 100 grand mark anyway in terms of funding yeah funding that has gone into the red card business bank account and as a ceo I, i'm in charge of the bank account charge of expenditure so yeah the fact that um I've proven my trust to every single person that's been connected to Red Card over the last five years, which is, yeah, I think that's a, that's a milestone for me personally, you know. And, you know,
1: that's amazing because, you know, what, what you've done is you've taken something that was uh, a a problem, a pain for you, something that was, you know, hurting and, and, and marring your life and you turned it around. And now you, you know, you're seeing all these people coming through and being able to, um, you know, get off their gambling addictions and what have you. What is that like for you to know that you had a hand in that and now you can see these people living, yeah. you know, their lives, you know, in whatever capacity? Yeah,
0: it's definitely a you know, it's definitely rewarding, uh satisfying in terms of the work we do. You know, if we we had um nine hundred and fifty feedback platforms um formulated and evaluated evaluated about a year ago from the schools we've been to and and when you do read the comments from the students um, about, you know, uh, I'm not going to start gambling, you know, or the, or or any, anything that's that's related to what we've taught them in terms of, you know, they know where to go to access to support, whether for them or for their parents. Um, there's lots of lots of rewarding factors in terms of what we're doing. You know, going for talks, and I remember going to the first ever talk that I'd done um, back in 2015, Coventry uh, Gala Evening Dinner. Uh, someone had pulled out and there was like, the book had just come out, I was asked by a friend in Cockatoo to deliver a 15-minute talk on um, my journey. And um, having not ever done public speaking ever in my life, <laughs> so you can imagine you can imagine how it felt. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I thought, oh, well, let's go for it, see how it goes. And um, I've done a 15-minute talk on the, on the story. And, and, and that's, that really sort of one sort opened of my eyes to the fact that you know, even myself realizing how big gambling addiction is, and to um, you know just seeing how it resonated with people in the audience. I you know a couple. Of remember, I remember a couple of women coming up to me and telling me that like they're finding their dad's benefits in the bin. So straight away, straight away, I know that when I leave that room tonight, you know they're going to you know talk to their dad or their parent, whatever it is, um, about you know what they've heard tonight, and hopefully that 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 will get their parent or their dad some some help. Um, so, yeah, it's very rewarding when you know that you, you are actually making a difference. Um, but there's a long way to go in terms of um, reducing gambling harm, making gambling safer, because I've, I've said it before that Red Card are not an organization that are telling people you can't gamble. That's that's not what the issue is about. It's about being aware of the risk of gambling um, and basically, you know, Making gambling sacred for all, and, that, and that's why we consult with all the different different bodies. You know, um, I can tell you a little bit about work I was doing with the Gambling Commission over the last. Yeah, so that was um, an opportunity that came up for um, a launch for a lived experience advisory group uh, back in t- 2020, and um, I managed to get onto the panel, 16 of us, and, and you know that that was in itself. Uh, was an achievement for me, uh, being selected as a, as a lived experience. Luxon to be part of this panel to work alongside the gambling commission. And obviously I heard lots of other people's, you know, in the group their stories, which which are just as horrific. Um, you know, people going to prison, people that people that have lost um someone to gambling addiction, i.e. a parents lost their son to gambling addiction, he was yeah, the father was part of the panel. So you heard some horrifying stories and that, and that just shows you how widespread it is. Uh, different individuals, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, people going to, you know, one of the members went to prison for four years for fraud. So this, this just highlights the impact um, and the various different types of impact that the addiction does. Um, so that nine months also helped me realise that, um, that there needs to be more done within the whole gambling sector in terms of um, making gambling safer, in terms of educating people, in terms of raising <laughs> awareness. There's a lot more to be done because, you know, uh, for those that are listening, there, there was um, a gambling act review, the, the, the 2005 gambling act, um, which which was passed in 2005, is now under review. Consultation's finished on March the 31st, a very recent. Um, and what what what's come out of that is that. There are changes that that you know campaigners, um, various other organisations such as Red Card and others, you know, want to see change in terms of making gambling safe and protecting young people from gambling harm. Uh, and this is, i will probably say, when you think about things like um, VIP schemes, which are schemes where um, the the gambling operators will target people with money um, in high positions and make them a VIP, and bombard them with emails, and phone calls, and offers to to keep them gambling and, and then they end up losing a fortune. Uh, then you've got the um, the affordability checks, which is not in place, which is a thing that needs to come into place as part of this consultation. So hopefully, in six months or a year, however long it takes, um, there will be a robust affordability check. So when somebody opens a gambling app or an account, uh, they will be taken through a robust affordability check, similar to similar to how the credit reference agency model works that's the sort of approach that that people want to see uh, because if you think about it if you're somebody that doesn't pay their bills on time you know you've missed three or four mortgage payments you've missed three or four loan or credit card payments you're not good with money you're not reliable with money you're not responsible with money then you know that's the red flag in terms of open a gambling act uh, because you might be a case if you think that with all your bills that you're behind with gambling is going to get you out of it and it's not so the affordability checks is a big issue, and then we've got uh, another issue. So, what what happened in those nine months while I was with uh, the Gamble Commission? We had various different topics that we work we work on each month leading up to this leading up to this uh, review act. Um, and then the other one, the other topic, which is a big topic, which is, I think, is probably going to be the hardest one to uh, see real change, and that is the uh, advertising and promotion of gambling. So. Yeah, I mean, at <laughs> the moment now, those that are listening, you know, will be aware anyway because you cannot, basically, you cannot be aware because it's, it's in it's in your face. Um, every, every, every two minutes you see a gambling advert on TV. Then you've got the correlation between sport, i.e. football and gambling. So you have half the Premier League clubs that are sponsor, sponsored by gambling companies and you've got... 17 of the 24 championship clubs that are sponsored by gambling companies so this emergence and convergence of gambling and professional sport has absolutely gone through the roof they've seen a market that took advantage of the market in terms of young people obviously millions of people of football um, and it's they, they offer these contracts to premier league clubs and Championship clubs so it's a win-win. They they get the, the gambling operators get the audience, and the football club uh, gets gets the money. Uh, generally, generally speaking, there's ten to fifteen million, roughly, is, is a sponsor a gambling sponsor contract for a Premier League club, and that's part of their part of their revenue. Um, but you know, although I can see um, the business side of it in terms of revenue for the Championship club or the Premier League club, you know, with, but then you've got to remember what what we, what that what's actually being promoted. Because what's actually being promoted is is something that's harmful, and so we want to be a more public health approach. So um, that and that would mean, you know, identifying risks and taking action um, to increase and decrease the risk. We've got shared we want to see shared responsibility. So that will mean between um, the regulators, the operators. For um, the moment, so everybody comes together because anything that. That harms you on a daily basis. Anything that you know affects your mental health. Anything that um, saves your life has to be a public health approach um, and a public health issue. So that's what that that's the change you want to see. Um, and the advertising, you know, we would like to see uh, gambling advertising banned, similar to what they're done with the tobacco industry all those years ago. When you think about it, yeah, When you think about those, you know, those um, adverts that were banned. Um, it you know people still smoke today yeah. you know yeah but but it's not promoted and that's what we're saying people will still gamble and people know you <laughs> know where bookmakers and people know you yeah, know know where gambling how to open a gambling app etc so you but you don't need to promote it because you're, you're promoting something that's harmful so gambling advertising we, we'd like to see banned um and, that, and that's sort of that's balancing it out in terms of saying, yeah, it's fine to gamble, you know, as long as you're aware of the risks, etc. Uh, but don't don't um, use money to to continue millions and millions of pounds to continue to um, to advertise and throw it down young, young people's throat, particularly young people. I think they're they're the ones that are most at risk um, when they go to football matches and they see all the advertising, you know, on the pyramids, the pyramid fences, in even in the. Uh, interviews the sky interviews it's everywhere it's on the players shirts you know these young people are being exposed to a gambling uh, product uh, and many of them will as far as they're concerned if it's all right to have 32 red on Wayne Rooney's shirt then it's all right gambling is fine and so what it does it normalizes gambling for young people and that that can't be good
1: So, so much stuff.
0: The a a is the bigger picture. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, <laughs> as you were talking there, I'm just feeling, you know, it, it, it's almost like, yeah, you know, the, the advertising and, you know, that's a business and that's mm-hmm. also generating something, you know, for the sports and what have you and everything. Mm-hmm. But then it's, yeah, what, what I want to ask you um, mm-hmm. with social media, with the internet, Say, so, is there a big difference between what people were doing prior to the, um, you know, when, when it was offline only? Is there a big difference? Is it, has it it made it worse because now people can do the can gamble straight away online? Is that have you seen a difference there or? Um...
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a huge difference, and I, and I think uh, <clears throat> one of one of the one of the big issues where gambling has changed in a massive way. So uh, my day was. Mainly about bookmakers and casinos. Um, there was no online gambling such back in my day in the, in the early nineties. Um, and so, when it when it came online, um, you had a massive rise in people gambling online. And it's simply because, you know, if you think about generally going out to the bookmakers, you know, some people you know, have to walk at first or whatever it is. Um, but you've, the, it's all about accessibility, basically. Um, and when you've got you know, I was reading a report the other day from our colleagues, Gambling with Life Charity, and it, and it's that summarizes it in a nutshell. You you do have a casino in your pocket. It's as simple as that 24 twenty four seven. And and what what online gambling brought to the table was was the whole um, various markets of gambling because people won't know that there are all kinds of gambling you can do on, online. You know whether it's Gambling in 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 Australia, Australian racing, or whether it's gambling on Japanese football, or, or you know, all kinds of different markets out there. You know, thousands and thousands of, of opportunities to, to gamble on different markets, and and, you, and you've heard we've heard stories, many stories of people gambling through the night because it obviously is twenty four seven access, and you and you know you might. You might have exhaust your gambling for the day in the UK, i.e. racing's finished, 6, 7 o'clock or whatever, football matches finished, 10 o'clock. But then, you know, many will just go online and find all the other markets in other countries and continue gambling through the night. And that's is it's incredible. So the accessibility and, and the, uh, the saturated market of, of, of gambling opportunities is, is, a, is a big part to play.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just sounds, it's it's, it's an enormous thing that you're trying to put that put out there and to make the change, because it it's mm-hmm. it's it's going to take a lot to unravel all this and get people on board to to yeah. kind of agree. I can imagine. Yeah,
0: it is. I and mean, we had a we had we had a meeting with the, with the DCMS, the Department Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and to be fair, they've you know they've they've sought, yeah, I suppose their their comments in the meeting that they realise what harm is being done. They realise that the stats that are out there. You know, one in four people who gamble suffer or start to suffer significant harm. You've got over 20% of the UK population affected by gambling harm. 50% of all gambling addiction in the UK associated with online casino gambling and slots. So they're aware of all of the stats and the data and the evidence and I think what's, I think what's helping and what will help is, is the fact that there's uh, many, many lived experience people that have come forward. Uh, create, created forums, created groups. Um, you have got the lived experience advisory group now with, uh, with the government commission, which I was part of previously. So you've got a lot of voices now uh, that, are, that are banging from the same drum, basically. And I think the government, that, you know, that they would have had this um, the reports the consultation for some lived experience and different uh, agencies, uh, and, and they they will read and listen to it through our voices. But it's it's, it's a big question of whether how far our voices has taken us. You know, we, there's there's so much that's been done behind the scenes by by various people and various organizations in terms of, you know, lived experience um, and telling the government what's going on and what has gone on in the past. Um, and so it's just a question of how much they listen and how much robust changes they do put in place uh, over the next, you know, twelve months. Because they have to I think um the, the, I think one of the things in terms of the, gambling, um, the advertising with shirts, sponsorship with shirts, um, gambling companies being on the footballer's shirts, I think that that, it, from what I'm reading it looks like that will be banned, um, that gambling companies won't be able to advertise on shirts, shirt sponsorship, um, but in terms of all the other uh, regulation changes that we want to see, um, the affordability checks, um, the advertising and the VIP schemes and product design. Um, deposit limits is another one. Um, deposit limits is a big one as well, um, because as we speak now, you uh, know, you can have a university student who has just received her or his first university loan, and he and yeah, and he or she can just deposit that and blow it in one night and. We've had it. In, we've heard the stories. We've had people from university come on board in our meetings that have told us exactly that. Uh, and that you know that basically that should not be allowed to happen. You should not be able. You know they shouldn't even be put in that position where they can. You know for whatever reason that they've decided they're going to open a gambling app. Whether that's through advertising, whether it's because their friends are doing it, whether it's through trauma. You know whatever reason it is that they've decided they're going to. You know let me have a go at gambling. The fact that they're able to spend three, five, ten thousand pounds in a in a night is just ridiculous, and that's that's where the deposit limits come in, and that's where the affordability checks come in because you just yeah we have to stop that. That shouldn't be allowed. Yeah,
1: there's so much there, I, and I'm kind of wanting to ask you what does the affordability checks look like? So if somebody <coughs> who shouldn't, who who maybe you know kind of they're vulnerable to, you know, gambling everything, like you say, someone with their cheques. What would happen? Would they go online and then they, would there be something that comes up to, you know, how, how would they be able to, how, how would you, how do you see that being, yeah. you know, coming into being, how would that, look, what would that look like?
0: It's interesting because there's been a lot, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of talk about it, of how it, how it would look like. Um, I think the best approach that most people, um, would like to see is to go down the route of the credit reference agency model, um, and, and that would be similar to because when you when you apply for a loan or you apply for a mortgage, you don't get a mortgage or you don't get a loan offered to you unless you've proven your affordability. It's as, as it. it's as simple as that, and that's what we want to see with open the gambling. So that would mean having having those checks about your your credit history. Um, there is a sort of um i suppose an argument about freedom of choice etc uh you know telling you know telling people what what they can do so that's, that's something that, that that would have to be overcome um, yeah. generally speaking you know so for instance if someone's on you know five thousand pound a week they've got a you know they've got to prove that they're on five thousand pound a week um, and then and then it's it's not a question of them open a the gambling app and then, you know, being able to deposit what they want, etc. There will be, well, the talk is that there will be a, a, a minimum threshold as such. So, yeah, so there might be 100 or 200 pounds a week that you'll, you'll be put on as your deposit as your limit. And then, you know, if you want to gamble more, um, it will be, there'll be a review uh, three, six months down the line if you want to gamble more, deposit more. Because a review would mean that in six months' time, in those six months, anything can happen. You can lose your job.
1: And then i want, to, I want to quickly ask you as you were saying that something came up like yeah. okay what what I want to ask you is that is it just about doing the gambling or is it about you know i want to be able to do more i don't want that um stop on my money I want to yeah. do more is that is there is that part of the problem as well is that you know people might want to you know do more, yeah. they don't want you know would would that could that pose a problem and could they then, you know, what would happen then? Would they go somewhere? Could they, you know, how, how would that work? Because is that part of the, the problem? Is that yeah, people yes. want to keep putting more and more and more?
0: Yeah, that is part of the problem, because, you know, as I said earlier, the freedom of choice, people want to be able to do what they want with their money, and they don't, they don't want to be told what they can do with their money. So that, that, is, that is the problem. Um, but, you know, what, what they're saying is that if, people so for instance if operators are you know their conditions and license conditions are changed whereby um you know someone that's going to open a gambling app will have to go for affordability check etc and that person doesn't necessarily want to go for affordability check doesn't want to know doesn't want to know about their credit history and background and data etc then what what's been said uh, and there there probably needs to be more research into this but what what has been said is that people those people will then go underground, so to speak, and, and, and gamble on the black market where there is no regulation. Yeah, that's, and that's an issue. That's an issue. So you and know, there are there are so many unregulated gambling sites, um, not you know, not just around the UK but generally abroad. Uh, places like Gibraltar, for instance, and others, uh, where people, you know, operators that will have no hardly any age verification or or brought up checks or anything like that the regulations um very soft so, and, and they'll go and gamble on both sides because they you know they can do what they want then so that's the danger um yeah so that's something that's that's talked about still and we don't know we're not probably going to know for six months to a year of where we've got to in terms of everybody you know I talked, about, I talked about earlier about everybody in terms of the regulators the operators the dcms the government everybody being involved and, and coming to a solution that fit and make and gambling safer in terms of regulation. So it's going to be, it's going to be difficult, it's a
1: long way to go, yeah. What I wanted to ask you, um, Tony, was um, when the, when somebody is being diagnosed, when someone has, you know, when it's been um, known that, right, this person has got this problem, is it is is there someone how how does it work does that person is how often do people come forward and say you know what i've got a problem or does it is it like the family or the partner or you know the 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 educational you know body or what have you how does how does it work Mm -hmm. does it is it easy are people in denial mostly until it becomes you know but yeah controllable well, yeah this
0: is this is a, an important issue i'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that um is a failing of the operators and a failing of the gambling commission because it is the gambling commission as the regulator that puts the license conditions on the operators i.e the Mills and, and bet365 etc and what what's happened too frequently which is again um another change that needs to be done as part of this um, new act review is the fact that operators are failing to intervene in terms of customer interaction. So an operator will see somebody gambling X amount of money weekly daily, yeah and knowing that this person is spending X amount of money and, and not winning, yeah, then that they should then interview intervene, whether that's through an email, whether that's through a phone call, whatever it is there has to be that customer interaction just to basically to intervene and save that person from serious gambling harm and that's not happening and that's what needs to that's one of the big things that needs to change in terms of customer interaction which is what the part of this uh, consultation has been about and what happens well what's been happening is if an operator has been deemed to fail to intervene um, and someone's made a complaint uh, that operator, the gambling Committee will take on board. What happens that operator will get fined. And when I'm talking fines, I'm talking <coughs> millions of pounds because they do generate a huge income. Yeah, yeah. So this five, six million pound fine, is a drop in the ocean. And all that will happen is that they'll get flat on the wrist, five, six million pounds, and then they'll do it again in a year later. So what we're saying is that you know, zero tolerance, basically. If you fail to protect your customers, then your license will be revoked. That, that's another big thing to talk about. Um, yeah, to revoke licenses where people are not adhering, where operators are not adhering to their license code conditions. Um, and in terms of what you were saying about denial, that is the biggest factor of, of a gambling uh, addict. Um, you know, all the people I've met, the, uh, the group that I was working with, the advisory group, uh, the 16 of us, the story is the same to all of us in terms of, you know, you seek help when it's too late. You know, you seek help at the end of your journey, you seek help when you're hip-hop-bomb. Um, and so, unfortunately, that is a trait of a gambling addict, you know, you stay in denial, you don't um, tell your friends and family. And the two words that come to mind that are <clears throat> primarily um, attached to a gambling addict is shame and guilt. Uh, and that's what we all feel. Uh, And that's why, you know, when you hear people that are, you know, less educated or or ignorant and say, oh, willn't you just stop, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't work like that. And um, that's why when you get, again, we're talking about another regulation change, is content uh, messaging and public health messaging on TV. When you read these stupid slogans such as stop when the phone stops, it's just pathetic and that's why you know, you know we need to have more powerful messaging um you know if, if we're not going to uh, ban gambling advertising then we need to balance the advertising i have mentioned it, i've mentioned this um on a number of occasions in a number of various meetings with, uh, with mps and different various um bodies so everybody knows that what my view was on, on it and my view is that not necessarily banning all forms of gambling advertising although the majority uh, in my field say yes uh, but failing that if that doesn't happen because i'm not confident that that will happen um, i would say that you you have to balance the content in terms of the language you know, the imagery and the messaging so it has to be a public health message it has to highlight the risks of gambling addiction what it can do the potential risks that doesn't happen so when you see all the advertising that you see on your TV, it is all geared to starting gambling, you know, opening an app, free, you know, free offers, etc. But there, you will never, ever, ever, and you haven't ever saw a gambling advertisement that tells you, you know, I mean, tells you directly that, you know, this could take your life, this could have a severe impact on your mental health, etc. It doesn't say that. Now, we know that obviously this is all about money um, and reducing um Operator's audience, etc., all that stuff. So the bottom line it does come down to money. But the ASA, the Adver- Adver- standard agency, uh, and the GC- DCMS and government they all need to get together around a table, as as they have been doing over this last six months with the consultation, and hopefully start to see sense and, and um, address address um, the balance of, of gambling advertising. But yeah, going back to um, your your um, your question about the denial factor, that's a very important thing, and that's why. That's why education awareness is so so important because we there are treatment providers out there. There are GamCare and National Problem Gambling Gambling Helpline, uh, Gamble Aware. <clears throat> There's treatment for problem gambling, obviously. But us as an organisation, we are about early intervention. So I don't want, I don't want to see people get to that point. You know, we, we want to intervene early and educate people early. That's why we educate from 11 years old and secondary schools. Um, and we'll continue to do that because those that don't know, um, obviously the, the, the pandemic kicked in at the wrong time, but the legislation change was in 2020, uh, September 2020, where um, gambling awareness is uh, compulsory in all secondary schools in the UK from September 2020. So whether it's uh, drop-down day, careers day, whatever it is, it's got to be part of that A Q programme. So uh, that is that is a fact, and some schools might not be aware of it because they might not be uh, contacted yet because the pandemic. But um, yeah, that is um, that is a uh, part of the school curriculum now. So we will continue to educate young people because we believe in early intervention and, and stopping people before they get to that that um, part where they ruin their life. So I know you work.
1: Um, you work very closely with the black and asian community and you talked to yeah. everyone about shame and guilt and i uh, just wonder, right. kind of stigma you know yeah. how how is how is that particular community you know because um, you know that mindset of don't put your your, your, your laundry out there you know is is, is, yeah. is is that is that yeah is that kind of how, how how is how are you getting on getting through to them is uh, you know or to our community i would say yeah. um, is there is it a bit tricky or are people quite open and not seeing it so much as a stigma as maybe, you know, some time ago?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, really. Um, we've done a lot of work in this space, I'll, I'll explain in a minute, but very interesting because um, people from you know ethnic minority communities, from the, from the bank communities, i.e. Black and Asian and others, um, it's been, they've been gambling for years and years and years. I remember my dad uh, with his little two-pound William hell slip back in the day. Um, you know, going me and his couple of his mates to the bookies. It was it was normal. It's been it's been a you know people from our community have been gambling for years. I've met I've met young black and Asian people. I've met older generations, and I've heard horrific stories from the older generation uh, what they lost, what they lost back in the day. Um, you know, so I know that people in their 60s 70s and 80s have uh, stuck with gambling harm over their lifetime but obviously never talked about it and it goes and that relates back to the shame and, and uh, stigma because within our communities what I've found is that uh, and this is me talking as someone of color that is involved in the gambling industry in terms of um, being a vocal vocal voice and being a face out there I think I've only met probably two maybe three, people from my in all the meters and all the consultation all the countries i've been through uh, all the lived experience people i've met um i've met one or two people from from those backgrounds and that's because it's that stigma is still attached it's very they find it difficult to talk about they find it difficult to open up there's a shame element attached to it still and these barriers of guilt shame and stigma these are the barriers that we need to break down now because we've got you know, thousands and thousands of young young black people and young uh, Asian people, and I'll come on to the Asian people in a minute. Uh, and of ethnic martyrs that are gambling now uh, because of this, because of the advertising promotion, you've got so many young people gambling today. Uh, but these people from, from those communities, you know, they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to open up. Uh, so we have to educate them. And that's why, um, fortunately for us, we were invited to be part of a new project which was specifically aimed at educating 14 to 24 year olds from the Bain community. Specifically, this project was um was um, funded by the, the Gambling Commission. Um, we're, we're happy to say that the project has been approved, and that we start the delivery in June, July first this, this year. Um, and basically, that's going to be. It's going to be, at the moment, it's a two-year pilot and it's going to be for London and South East and the home counties. Uh, but it is a specific project aimed at educating that population of, um, of people. Because, you know, when you think, we, we look to the data and when you think about um, the amount of makers that were up in, in areas of deprivation, um, you know, a large, large percentage, you know, in places, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure where you live. I think it's not going to burn them. Where are you from?
1: now um
0: yeah. Cheshire, yeah through, yeah, yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> you know you've got no contract here but when it comes to areas such as you know the big cities of birmingham and the, the and all that they're, they're, a lot of the bookmakers are situated in areas of, of deprivation um areas of low-income families etc so the, they, they were targeted specifically to these people and, and, those, and those people unfortunately living in you know those kind of conditions and poverty etc will think that gambling's a way out and so they're more vulnerable to to an at risk to gambling money. So everybody's vulnerable and at risk, but these people in particular, this this population, are more at risk, in my opinion. So we are we are pushing forward that project in July. Hopefully, we'll bring a lot of people, um, young people from those communities, to the table and, and educate them with the with the workshops. So that uh, yeah, it's a big project. Yeah. Mm-hmm
1: ask you I don't know if you've mentioned this yet I want to ask you about gambling self-exclusion schemes what 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 is how does that work and how um yeah how's it going are are people putting themselves forward
0: um well as an example gamstop who are the main self-exclusion tool out there um Mm -hmm. they recently reported um it's I'll be honest with you it's debatable between um other bodies that are that are working within the industry, um, it's debated about the figures, but they they, they recently reported that 200,000 people have signed up to GamStop. Now we're we're not we're not particularly sure about that. It might be an advertising problem, I'm not sure, but um, it is a good tool. I will say that it is a good tool. Um, so the, the the biggest thing about self-exclusion, uh, whether it's through GamStop or whether it's through um, self-exclusion from the bookmakers. Um, Gamstop being online, sorry, Gamstop is it's an organisation that that will allow people to block um, uh, block themselves from opening a gambling app. Yeah, um, they have all all the all the operators um, that are operating, i.e., within their own retired frameworks, etc., they all have to sign up to Gamstop as part of their gambling commission license conditions. Yeah, so so what happens is that people who you know, if someone's started gambling, say, they're with their partner, um, and the partner says, "Oh, yeah, your is getting out of control, um, and it's messing up the family dynamics, etc.", then yeah. they are able um, to then block themselves from from opening gambling laps across the board. Um, yeah, and that so that can be done, um, and they can uh, they can block themselves for a, a long period of time. Uh, but the the question I've got about self-exclusion is that you have to. You have to really mean it, and you have to be ready to stop because some people will self-exclude, and then um, after that period has elapsed, then they can ring up the, uh, for instance, scam stuff. Though, they'll have to go for an interview, etc. But then they, you know, it's, it's not like they've, they've been self-excluded for life, um, and, that, and that's, what I, that's what I would like to see. That if you self-exclude, self-exclude for life, there's no going back. Six months time, and saying, oh, okay, but, you know, long-term. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one part of it. The self-exclusion with the bookmakers and casinos, um, you can be for six months or five years, um, and that's slightly different. That's, that's basically for. So if you want to self-exclude from your from your local bookmakers, you can do that. Fill in the form, take an ID, etc. It's quite straightforward. Um, and then you can self- area self-exclusion, which means that you can self-exclude from not just the local bookmakers but all the bookmakers in that area um and then you can also self from from people make nationally so the tools and prevention tools are, are out there in terms of self excluding but it's you you really do have to mean it um and really 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 want to stop so yeah that's but, but as i said there are there are opportunities for, for people uh, to actually you know stop gambling basically mm.
1: so you know um I think just going listening to what you're saying and certainly i know the work you're doing out there and you've got quite quite a lot of um people supporting your work which is really great um you know talk to us about your team because i know you have people who are psychologists psychotherapists and counselors and you know what i want to also ask is behind the you know behind every addiction whether it's a food or whatever and certainly yeah. with gambling, there's always something behind that, isn't there? And how forthcoming are people to kind of take a look and see what is causing them to um, you know, have this addiction?
0: Well, I think it's just it comes from two perspectives really. We, we have a couple of um, psychotherapists within the team, um, and we know that gambling addiction can affect absolutely anybody, yeah. Uh, regardless of your background status or gender, we know we know that. Yeah. What? What? I suppose the big question is um, is why people get addicted, um, and there are you know various reasons. I talked earlier about you know the psychotherapists say in a lot of cases um, it stems from childhood trauma, whatever that trauma may be from from a young age. Uh, then when you look into it a bit deeper in terms of you know, present time, you yeah, have yeah, yeah. the advertisement, promotion, which is another reason why people start gambling. Then I talked about the um, the demographics of people, um, and where they live, and where they're growing up in terms of poverty. So there's lots of different reasons why people start to gamble. Um, there's peer pressure, is another one. Um, so when when we talk about you know getting what well, what they call getting to the root of the problem, um, people say. Generally speaking, that professional help and professional therapy helps get to the roots of of, um, of an addiction. Now, you know, it's debatable whether whether that's true or not. Um, and some people will have, you know, could, could suffer gambling harm just just within within a week or two. You know, a rapid escalation um, because of their situation of their life at that particular moment in time, and they end up gambling and going at what we call a gambling binge for two, three weeks, and and cause serious harm. Uh, blow, blow their savings in one night, whatever it is, and that, that mm-hmm. and yeah, and that's just a scenario of where where someone's at mentally at their life or whatever. Whatever they could have lost a lost a loved one or whatever. Um, and then you've got the other side of it where we've been to uh, many, well not many, we've been to a few rehab centres. talked to an alcohol rehab centres where we delivered a workshop because they wanted to know more about gambling addiction and what they found with their clients and service users was that some of the clients, their drugs and alcohol um, addiction stemmed from gambling addiction. So now you have, yeah, and, you know, and that's, that's a coping mechanism. So now you have you know, the correlation between the three and you've got cross addictions going on because um, people are trying to cope with their addictions. Um, you know, another reason why people start to gamble. So there's so many different reasons why people start to gamble and, and get into the root of the problem, you know, It's it's difficult uh, to find out really why we've got the other side of it in terms of uh, neurology, in terms of how the brain works and the the the, the, the influence of dopamine, uh, the drug that's uh, released from the brain, uh, the pressure wall drug, slow nap, that's another thing that keeps people gambling. So yeah, it's very, very complex when you really, really break it down. Um, But in terms of, you know, getting to the root problems, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just something that hasn't really been pinpointed uh, because, yeah, you know, for instance, myself, my, my condition, I, I didn't have extensive, um, you know, long-term therapy or CBT. Um, I didn't have that, but some people have recovered through GA, some people have recovered just through um, various types of therapy, some people have recovered um, through their faith you know faith is part of my recovery so people we always say there's you know one side doesn't fit all. people do recover in different ways um actually actually uh, the actual start of that gambling journey is different for, for everybody yeah, that's
1: actually going to be my next question because i was going to ask you obviously if the the psycho you know counseling psychotherapy Also, Mm. and I know you talked before about your faith. How important was it? And, um, you know, for you, kind of what was, you know, how did you, because were you, were you, did you have any sort of spiritual or religious um, beliefs before? Or did, how did you, how did you Mm. come to recover, you know, Mm. out of your faith? That's kind of the question.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I've always been a believer. But not really practiced it or, or <laughs> gone into, into a deep way and, and thought about it too much. But when I um, had this 2010, um, I was working for Network Rail and my life was a mess. Uh, just finished a £192,000 bankruptcy file. Um, yeah, coming out of the High Court with that. Uh, and although that was a relief in terms of having the debtors so off my back and clearing that debt. Um, They'll, you know, feel a bit of shame attached to that. Um, but I then was working for Network Rail. I just split up with the partner. I had probably a, a, probably 17, 18 years together then. Um, and so yeah, life wasn't too great. And then I had a visit from a local chap in the Network Rail at my signal box um, at work on a Sunday afternoon. And the, the story about this is that. He came in with a brand new Bible. He, we said a prayer together, which I now know was a salvation prayer, and she wrote out and we read. Um, and it wasn't a case of that when he left that, you know, life is rosy and things are going to change rapidly, et cetera. Uh, what it did do, it just made me think a bit more and it made me, um, I suppose, get closer to my faith um, in terms of, you know, reading more scriptures and praying more, et cetera, and trying to, basically trying to bring God into my life. Um, but it I think from following on from that it was a gradual thing and I think the fact that I was put into an opportunity to write a book is something that, that is something that I can't quite <laughs> explain <laughs> because, um, because I wouldn't know where to start to write a book for starters um, and then when I you know when my sister mentioned it to me because there were some um couple of footballers coming out of the press about their gambling, she said you should put your story to print. Um she said that you should do it as a barber from nine years old, growing up in country, etc., going through the question of football, going through the addiction. So I wrote a, a, I think it was about half a chapter. And um she said it's brilliant. And then I then from that moment on, and this was um no 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 laptop, this was no ghostwriting, this was pen um and A4 paper. And I started to write, and I couldn't stop writing. And then, eighteen months later, I had this manuscript, and um, yeah, and sent it to publishers And the red card was born a, a year later. And so that that told me that there's there's some intervention here. You know, there, there's there's someone guiding me to do something more. Um, and then, what happened is that my local church, Saint George's, we, we we held a gambling awareness event there with Red Car, sort of one of our first events and um, yeah, we, we had it in the church hall and uh, Father Taman, uh, the pastor of the church, he uh, gave us the hall for free, gave Red Car a donation, loved the book, loved everything about the project and so that became my worship in church and so um, that culminated in June 2017 um, that I, I actually became baptised. So the whole journey from 2010, to 2017, involving um, the local church, St. George, involving Father Tamer, involving, you know, uh, the recovery culminating in me being baptised. And then, you know, I, I remember thinking after being baptised, I remember thinking to myself, we, we, we had been turned out for a couple of um, gambling, sorry, gambling, a couple of uh, funding uh, applications. Um, and I remember, you know, reading certain scriptures and saying about patience and faith and talking to my mum and talking to my sister about you've got to believe um, and things will come right. And uh, and that's when, you know, the next application, when it went through and we got our first 10,000 pounds, then I remember thinking, yeah, this is all about patience, it's all about faith, it's all about believing. You know, God wants you to do certain things, but you've got to be committed to it and you've got to believe it. And, uh, and since then, it's gone from strength to strength. Um, and so that's yeah, that's why I say the faith is a big part, part of my life because I know that this is, in my opinion, what what God wants me to do. Um, you know the, the past is the past; He's taken that away. You know, I have, I abused the position I was in, which is fine. know, yeah, I had an addiction, uh, but now I can do something positive to help others, and, and I think that's the journey that God has put me on. And it, and and to round off this journey to where I am today because uh, i know you might not be fully up to date with where um we are well where where i am in terms of the next big chapter. Yeah, what's going on you?
1: What's, you know what's the future what's yeah. going on now well the
0: next picture ch- the big chapter those are two biggest things is, is uh, as i mentioned earlier we got the approval for the bain project which start in july which so we, we um we're looking forward to that in terms of educating people from the bain community young people that's uh, that's exciting because we've got a production team. We part of the budget is to have a production team. Um, that's we're going to develop a powerful video as part of the actual workshops. So when we go and deliver a workshop, this video, which will be very professionally made and involve young people, uh, will be part of the of the education tool. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, and then the biggest next step has happened again. <laughs> Again, again, I definitely say this is God's work. Is that when the first book finished? So those that may want to buy Red Card on Amazon, it finishes in 2014, meaning that meaning that the uh, journey of the story finished in 2015, which means that Red Card Gambling Support Project wasn't born. It was an idea. It wasn't born. Um, so people kept saying to me, "Yeah, but people." Tony people are going to be wondering what you were doing for the last seven years you know what, what happened afterwards and so i thought yeah i never thought about that so we decided on a sequel and so book two red card which is called red card i bet you can win uh ie that means that you know this give hope hope to people um and inspires people that you can come out the other side which is where we got the I Bet you can win um subtitle from And that is actually been published, and that is going to be due out on April the 30th, so very, very soon. Yeah, uh, so I'm really excited about that. I'm just talking to the public about um, press release and all the rest of it. So, in the coming weeks and months, you'll see a lot of that book around social media, etc. But yeah, it's available in all the normal outlets, Waterstones, WSMIS Amazon from April the 30th onwards. So, that's really, really exciting. Yeah. Mm
1: How do you feel? Your second book, and you know you're Uh, making uh, such a difference. uh, I mean, it must be amazing. And what? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure your family. I know you've got children, so in your family, um, how's everybody taking? You know what you're doing because this is um, amazing.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that you talk about family. I think that's one of the other important issues. There's so many thousands of people out there. You know, young people, old people, whatever that. Uh, become isolated through their gambling addiction, i.e. lose their friends, i.e. fall out, fall out with family members, which happened a lot. Uh, so they find themselves isolated, which means that they have to go through that pain of addiction alone. Uh, and that can have a massive impact on your mental health, uh, which is one of 650 gambling-related deaths in the, in the UK every year. Uh, Oh, that, yeah. The reason why I've mentioned that is because family is important, and I'm very, very lucky that my five brothers and my sister, my mum and dad, my dad passed away 2002. But um, I'm very lucky that I have a very supportive family. So when the book came out, some people who were in my position um, and were going to write a book, walks and all, and tell all, uh, might have been afraid of the backlash from family members or whatever. Oh, you, you still owe me that five thousand pound or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For for me, I didn't feel like that because I know my family and I know how supportive they are to me um, and I know how proud they are of me today in terms of where I've come from. Uh, So um, it was a a blessing to them for them to know what I've been through, to them to know how I lost the house, etc. So um, yeah, I've got a very strong support. And and for, for some people, you do need that support network. Uh, because going through it alone, I can't imagine what it would have been If I was on my own, without no, family, without no family, I think I'd have probably, yeah, struggled badly. And, and unfortunately, some people get to that point of no return. Unfortunately. So,
1: um, Tony, what what um what would you like to say to the listening audience? And and also, how can people contact you? How can people? Know about your company and um yeah. you know can you talk about can you just mention the book again and where people can yeah. um, get hold of the book yeah, yeah.
0: so red card uh, gambling sport project is um is on social media we're on facebook uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Tony Kelly is on Facebook and LinkedIn, so you can contact me um, anywhere you feel. On the website, which is Kelly's Card Consultancy.co.uk, which is Kelly's Red Card Consultancy.co.uk, uh, there's a contact form on there as well, or you can ring me direct because the phone number's on there. Um, and I'll talk to anybody um, about an issue they're going through, whether it's a family member, a friend or whatever it is, we're, we're open to talk to anybody. And I will personally talk to anybody, so that's fine. Um, any organization out there that feels that they could do with an education workshop for their, whether it's students or whether it's staff, because we deliver to staff as well, obviously. Um, yeah, we're happy to do educational workshops, so we can book one through, through myself. Um, and uh, the book will be available on all the usual outlets, particularly on Amazon. Um, from April the third, I think it's April the 30th, stroke, May the 1st. Um, so yeah, that'll be out there. And in terms of going forward, I think, um, I suppose the strongest message I think is that, you know, I, I would actually not to get involved in gambling. Um, we talk, the psycho- psychotherapists talk about how we are all made up differently and we're all wired up differently in terms of um, genetics and biological side. So, for instance, when I had my first bet at 18 um, on the football club and back in Buckingham Dulwich, I had no idea where that journey was going to take me. Uh, where that bet was going to take me, I had no, absolutely no idea. So, you know, you don't know until you have that first. You don't know how you're going to feel if you have a win, if you have a £100 win. Does that mean that, as far as you're concerned, this is easy money? I'm going to carry on doing this. And then eventually you'll lose. And then how are you going to feel? Are you going to feel that, okay. win it back tomorrow and i'll try again and i'll win it back the next day i'll try again but you continue losing and the end of what we call in the industry chasing your losses and then you get bigger a bigger deeper hole so you know the risk factors are there um and that's that's my advice is that there's an element of risk to gambling um that's why it's a risk and reward activity so i'll be very careful about opening a gambling app cetera or going to a casino etc so personally i would steer clear uh, and to those that feel that they can, you know, gamble moderately, you know, from time to time, whether, um, then all I would say that, just be aware of the risk. And if you do find yourself in trouble, rather than wait till you hit bottom, you know, get help ASAP. So it does not spiral out of control and whether that, and that will mean, you know, contacting the, ser- the treatment services, I've mentioned before, all the treatment services, um, addresses phone numbers and emails are all on our website so you'll be able to find them all on there all the prevention tools self-exclusion are all on our website so you'll be able to find them as well so if you know somebody that's going through a problem gambling at the moment uh, and you feel that they need help and you know you feel they should self-exclude and ban themselves from the apps and the the bookies then um, send them to our website and you'll find all the information there on the on the self-exclusion tab. So yeah, it's just a question of um, really, 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 really being aware, basically. Yeah.
1: Well, wow, thanks, Tony. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, um, as you, you you know, you've highlighted for us, and there's so there's a lot more going on than you know people might first um, expect, and like you said, it's been it's the stigma people are hiding people don't you know want to they're in denial what have you and your yeah. your 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 company is there to kind of get to people before they get out there
0: and, yeah you know
1: and that's yeah.
0: amazing we talk about people saying mental health and all that it's good to talk and, and, and generally it really is it really is good to talk you know it's, it's okay having an addiction you know you can be sorted it can be it can be addressed so uh, don't don't feel shameful about it um, talk about it yeah talk about it to your family member or your work colleague or your boss at work etc know, yeah, talk to them and, and uh, get the help that you need
1: so it's, it's the people around so like the family members you know the work colleagues the bosses what have you you know yeah. they need to make it a, a, a sort of um, gambling speaking you know friendly environment so that people are not kind of hiding away and yeah. they're comfortable talking about it
0: yeah, exactly, and I think that's why it's important that you know uh, gambling awareness in the workplace is a is a big, big issue. There's not enough of it. You know, we want we want to deliver more work uh, in various different sectors um, because you know you will have generally speaking in a lot of companies you you know you know yourself that you have health and safety policies and drug and alcohol policies, um, but you won't have gambling policy, um, and that's... Something that a lot, of, a lot of people are talking about in terms of uh, getting a gambling, getting gambling, gambling policy uh, passed, so it's in all the workplaces because uh, gambling addiction is the fastest growing addiction. Um, so it's, it's it's gone alongside alcohol and drugs. And I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think I think more and more. To be honest with you, I think more and more slowly people are starting to realise that um, you know gambling addiction is, is just as harmful, if not more, so in terms of taking lives. Uh, than drugs and alcohol. So I think people are trying to recognise that and I think the, the World Health Organisation are addressing it as a gambling disorder, it's in the DCMS which we've done with the uh, statistical manual so it's properly properly recognised as a serious gambling disorder so I think yeah which is good and um, yeah we've just got to keep highlighting um, raise awareness. Awesome. Thank you so much and your book is out on the 30th of
1: April, can you announce yeah. the name again?
0: red card a bet you can win
1: mm. oh,
0: no. <laughs> yeah. Wow. so yeah, yeah you can win just so you can win and it just gives a lot of people hope that you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel basically and it's when they read my journey to where i was and what i lost and i think we touched upon it in terms of half a million pound in, in that 10 year period um and the house etc and it's not just the monetary side it's, it's what comes within terms of you know my partner and friendships etc so yeah, and then they and then they uh, see what I'm doing today. Is just to hope it gives hope and inspires people that you know you can come out to the other side, and do something positive.